0: Hi, and welcome to The Caps Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer, from one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecapsinlife.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. In today's episode, we are going to talk about one of the more controversial events in the history of comics, and that is the creation of the Comics Code Authority. As many of you know, I just recently got back into comics about five years ago, and this was an organization I knew nothing about growing up. So when first heard about this, I became really interested in learning more about it. So joining us today is an expert on this particular topic to help us understand this organization a little bit more. Please welcome David Haydu. David is an award-winning, cultural historian, critic, and novelist. His books include The Ten-Sit Plague, The Great Comic Book Scare, and How It Changed America, and A Revolution in the Three Acts, a work of graphic nonfiction with art by John Kerry. He is a professor at Columbia University and a member of the National Council of the Humanities. His first published work was an original comic strip, The Endless Odyssey of Skip Tumalu, published in his high school newspaper. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a whole lot for having me, Sean. I'm very, very happy to to be here to talk comics with you.
0: And I am very happy to have you on here. As I mentioned, I literally know very, very little about this organization. I know that as a comic book fan, this is one of the things that's part of the history of the comics industry that everyone who is interested in comics should really get to know about and so i thought what better way to talk about this than somebody who's actually literally wrote the book on this and so i'm very excited to have you on the show um one of the first questions i want to ask you which is kind of a you know same question i ask all my guests on the show um is what is your comic book origin story or if you want to kind of flip it around a little bit what was your origin story with the comics code authority either either one of those will be fine <laughs>
1: Well, I was a circus acrobat. I was in the flying heydues. No, no, oh. no. That's a different. <laughs> way <the> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I, oh, I, in, I inhaled hard water. Oh no, that's that's the uh, gold age flash. Uh, I fell in a vat of, of yogurt. <laughs> that's the '60s Plastic Man origin, So Right. Uh, yeah, my my my. The origin of my interest in comics. There are a couple levels to it. Uh like the basic level is my father, my, my parents both read comics and during in the golden age, but my older brother was a big comics uh, enthusiast and he's nine years older than me. So mm. I grew up in the sixties. I'm a, a couple years younger than you. <laughs> okay. And uh, with this older figure who I idolize. So I wanted to do whatever he did. If he read Chaucer, I I would have read you know 14th century English literature. <laughs> Fortunately, he read comics. So <laughs> I read I read comics, uh, and I inherited his comics for a while. And they, never thinking they might be valuable, he had he had the like the first issue of the original of the Justice League. He had the uh, showcase introduction of the Silver Age Flash. He had the introduction of the Silver Age Green Lantern uh the atom metamorphos the specter all those great like 60s dc inter- re- introductions or reintroductions yeah so i grew up on on that so that's it kind of overlaps with my interest in comics history and the even the comics code Because the events that I wrote about in this book, I spent years writing this book, you can see it's kind of thick, which deal with the hysteria over comics content in the post-war years Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that, you know, reached full bloom in like 1948 and then reached a crisis point in the mid-50s, 1954, 1955, took place right before I was born, a couple years before I was born. Mm -hmm. And and the comics code is elemental to all this. It's central to all this. So I'm born into the world when the comics code dictated comics content. Mm-hmm. So I'm born into a world of comics that are really a product of the code. I would say for better or worse, but it was mostly for for worse uh, for some time. So I was curious about this. Everybody's curious about you know the world around them, you know, mm-hmm. and so I was curious about the world of comics around me, and that led me to make this study and fortunately it's a it's a story of history, fortunately, it's a story that's before your time and it's now also very much before the present time, but one that I think has a lot of lessons for us mm-hmm. And lessons for the culture, they don't always apply to comics specifically, but there are lessons that appeal to popular culture and to art for young people, for young readers and art that challenges the status quo, whether it's comics or whether it's video games or whether it's some new form that hasn't even been invented yet. There are deep lessons of from the comics code that carry over to all, all those forms and Forms that haven't been invented yet So that's my origin story the, the, the Flying Grayson's Chaucer and my brother <laughs> I
0: mm-hmm. love that Well, And thank you especially to your brother for introducing you to comics um, And I think your uh, You know your experience With Comics Code Authority is a great Segue into that question for Those of us who don't know much about that Or don't even know what it is Tell us a little bit of maybe yeah. like a You know a brief description of what the Comics Code Authority yeah. Is and how it got started
1: you you need to keep in mind a, a few things that predated the comics code that led to the common comics code to fully understand it. Okay, in the nineteen forties and particularly the late nineteen forties, comics can, um, which were had originally been geared to adolescents and to young readers, grew up like in sync. With its original readers. So that by the late 1940s, and the comics were, had very mature content and were really geared for someone who had been, you know, somewhere between, you know, eight and 10, or in, in 1937, 38, you know, 39, when Batman and, and Superman got 30, 30, 38,
2: 39, mm-hmm.
1: when the first superheroes come up, that's now a young adult. So it became content for young adult that mm-hmm. meant that I mean sophisticated daring dealing with adult content dealing with you know all the temptations that we face when when we're when we're adults uh, uh, and you know it's stories of it also took the often took the form of stories of of you know of of crime and horror stories and and, and romance stories that weren't that mushy, that were really kind of very complex. So this comics grew up uh, and caught the attention of the government and uh, PTAs, uh, church groups, and other protectors of like propriety, societal propriety. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started to clamp down on comics. This is usually attributed to one figure named Frederick Wortham. That's a mistake. He came along and exploited it. And he's handy as, okay, we want a bad guy. He's Mm -hmm. a great bad guy. You know, he embodies the evil that this campaign against comics really represented, but there was much more to it than Frederick Wortham. And it began before Frederick Wortham. Mm -hmm. So by 1948, there are over 50 laws restricting uh, the sale of comics or restricting comics content on the books or in the state houses around the country or in municipalities,
2: mm-hmm.
1: 50 laws. Kids are being led to gather their comic books and burn them in oblational I have, I have here, wow. this, this, I have the yearbook from a. I like I should have dog-eared this page. This is the original yearbook, uh, St. Patrick's Academy from 1949. This is a, a moment from 1948 where the students are being led to burn their comics. Oh, wow! And events like this took place all over the country. Okay, no New, New York New Jersey Wisconsin uh, Oregon like all over the country thousands of kids are being led to burn their comics and there's an intense clampdown on comics mm-hmm. the comics industry is fearing for its life and justifiably
2: mm-hmm.
1: the memory of similar set of events in Hollywood is fresh in the mind of comics publishers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And someone must, have, they either remembered or, or, or heard uh, about the origin of the comics production code. There's a production code.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: Hollywood. I said comics production code. I meant to say the Hollywood production code. Gotcha. Hollywood instituted a production code to prevent the government from taking action. In 1915, the Supreme Court upheld a state uh, body in Ohio that was censoring film content. Mm -hmm. went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court upheld it. So the states have the right to censor films hollywood 's in a panic over this. They formed their own production organization for the Hayes Office and the production code to restri- to preemptively uh, soften film content to prevent the government from acting
2: mm-hmm. so it was
1: a preemptive act of self censorship to prevent what they thought would be harsher government censorship mm-hmm. 1948, with all this in mind,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. comics publishers organized what was originally called the, uh, what was it originally called? The Association of Magazine Publishers of America. The AMCA, Association of Magazine Publishers of America, 1948. National, later D.C., doesn't join. Timely, Atlas, later Marvel, doesn't join. The organization doesn't have any teeth. It dissolves. Nothing really happens.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's a gesture to show we take this seriously. We want to act. We'll form an organization. But it falls apart. After it falls apart from 1948 to 1954, attacks against comics just intensify so much so that there are Senate hearings on the horror of comics. There are prime-time TV programs, half an hour TV programs on how comics are poisoning youth, that they're responsible for juvenile delinquency. Mm-hmm. They must be stopped. Comics are, you know, are an are evil. They must be stopped. And this is just intensifying. Mm-hmm. But now... The comics industry unites again, but now everybody joins up. Michael. So now they're really in a panic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the Comics Magazine Association of America forms and forms a production code. They're thinking, well, we're going to prevent government censorship. We'll start our own production code.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: production code that, that they created was much harsher than anything the government would ever have done. It is mind-blowing in its severity. Interesting. I, I, let me let me share with you just a couple of the restrictions, okay?
0: Okay, yeah, that'd be great. Yes. Yeah.
1: Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions, respected institutions, that's pretty broad, should not be presented in a way uh, as to create disrespect for established authority. No disrespect for established authority. No comic shall explicitly present the unique details and methods of a crime. You can't present the methods or details of a crime, even in the process of solving that crime. That means <laughs> a Sherlock Holmes story couldn't be presented because right. it presents methods of a crime. Right. No magazine shall use the word horror or terror in the title. That's just a way to eliminate, like, 30 titles.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: all scenes of horror or excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome uh, crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. Okay, well, depravity is a little broad. All lurid, unsavory illustrations shall be eliminated. Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with The Walking Dead Torture, vampires, and vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolves are not permitted. Werewolves, hmm. no. No <laughs> wolf man, right? Okay. Profanity, obscenity, smut, vulgarity, or words or symbols which have acquired undesirable meanings are forbidden. Words or symbols that have acquired undesirable meanings. What is it? Uh, Awfully broad. (laughs) Passion or romantic interests uh, shall never be treated in such a way as to stimulate the lower and baser emotions. The treatment of love romance stories shall emphasize the value of the home and the sanctity of marriage. Respect for parents, the moral code, and for honorable behavior shall be fostered. Mm -hmm. And there's more. There are uh, how many explicit terms concluding with, oh, there are 41 requirements. What did I read, like eight?
2: Right, yeah. (laughs) There,
1: There are 41 of them. And then in the end, the code says this. All elements are techniques not specifically mentioned here but which are contrary to the spirit and intent of the code and are considered violations of good taste and decency shall be prohibited. So nothing could be published short of like Nancy. Well, actually Nancy is, has some pretty, you know, they solved crimes in Nancy.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Sluggo. Sluggo is homeless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He lived alone without his parents. Yeah. So he could publish practically nothing. Okay. So the comics publishers think, we'll put up a front. We'll put, we'll create this code. Mm-hmm. We'll keep the politicians away. They hired an enforcer named Charles F. Murphy.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: he actually took it seriously and actually enforced it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: that's when the bottom fell out. So that he actually enforced the code. Right. So Uh, 1954, 55, half of American publishers went out of business. They just went out of business. Hundreds of people lost their livelihoods.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Never went went back to comics uh, again. And comics were not the same for a very long time. They were absolutely gelded, Mm -hmm. you know, because every comic had to have that seal. Now I interviewed you know, hundreds of people for, the, for for the for my book. It's a study of all this, and one of I forget one of the artists said to me, "Well, well why don't we just uh, publish what we want? You know, do we need the, do we need that seal of approval? I have some comics up there with the seal. I can pull down if you want to see them. Do we do we need that seal of approval?" Uh, and the editor said, "Well, without the seal of approval." We can't get the comics printed
0: mm-hmm. because
1: print printers won't print them without the seal. Right. Without with, if the, the distributors won't carry them without the seal, retailers won't sell them without the seal. We're dead comics as we know. This is a quote, direct quote. No comics as we know it are over,
0: mm-hmm. and it
1: looks like they were for some time. Right. So it's terrible. Um, can I tell you some of the things that they did, some of the things that the Comics Code did?
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Every publisher who was a member of the of the of the Comics Magazine Association of America, and that meant all the major publishers, had to submit scripts and uh roughs in advance before the final comics are rendered, and then had to submit the final pages before they're printed. Mm-hmm. Horrible situation. Uh, and so this body of censors were rejecting stories left and right. You know, mm-hmm. come, artists would come in, editors would come in with a pile, and they'd leave with, like, a pile like this, you know? Oh, just man. With
2: yeah.
1: Sometimes that they're allowing the stories to get through, but in a censored way.
2: Mm-hmm. They're
1: blacking, blacking out language. Mm-hmm. Actually, they're not blacking out, they're whiting it out, right,
2: which had the right. weird
1: effect weird effect of seeming even worse than the original dialogue. There's an, there's an example. There's some of these some of these comics that got through in an edited form are now in the hands of collectors, and we've seen them. Like there's one case where it's a romance comic, and the guy, like the wolf, is asking you know, flirting with a girl. Mm-hmm. And young woman, and he says, uh, oh, oh, hi. And there's a long blank. Would you like to do that? It's like a long blank. <laughs> he was just asking her to go for a swim or something.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Well, we don't know. But, <laughs> so this just stimulates the imagination. And the, the the imagination of a lot of people, maybe even me, is worse than was ever on, than mm-hmm. was surely worse than what was ever <laughs> on that page
0: right yeah
1: they blacked out weapons blacked out you know uh there's scenes where you know somebody's stabbing somebody with a knife and the knife is blacked out, but they kept the wound the wound so it looks like <laughs> looks like somebody had been stabbed with the with a couple those, fingers
0: <laughs> those are powerful fingers
1: <laughs> are powerful fingers. <laughs> and uh all the like the bad guys you know uh, monsters uh, gangsters uh, uh you know anybody's like kind of dark you know doing up to no good, their features were all softened mm. So instead of a receding hairline, the, you know, the bad guy would have, like, a full head of hair. Instead of being having a, a couple days' growth of beard, like you do, you're, you'd be a great bad guy in a 50s color. <laughs> <laughs> you'd right. be, be clean-shaven. Hmm. Uh, so now all the bad guys w- look sympathetic. Mm-hmm. They had the absolutely opposite
2: of effect. <laughs> effect. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know?
1: Uh, women like women's breasts were reduced or removed. If it's a three-quarter view, so a woman only had one breast instead of two. It, it, was, it was horrible, and and continued for some time. I, I think the first comic without the code. You probably know this as well as I do. Seven, was a Spider-Man from
2: 1971,
1: mm-hmm. that uh, Stanley wrote a. A drug story, it right. the, but it was like an anti-drug story. It's a story about the horrors of drugs. But he thought, well, we can't publish this with the code. So it was actually the first comics from a mainstream publisher published without the code, nineteen seventy-one. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was no restriction from d- portraying drugs because in nineteen fifty-four, drugs weren't on the mind of the. Right. Yeah, another weird <laughs> thing about the code was there. Explicit details about the rendering of the female form. Okay. But nothing about men.
0: Right. Yep.
1: So women could not be depicted in a, there were their, you know, their anatomy was accentuated. Mm-hmm. But you could, men's anatomy could be accentuated. Right. So, you know, the, you know, bulges in the in the in, you know uh, in the crotch area were fine, but no breasts. Right. So the comics got kind of more and more homoerotic. You know, <laughs> you know right. they just guys uh, just got beefier and beefier, and the women just got
0: right. <laughs> so, Again, opposite effect of what they were going for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So so it's interesting to hear you talk about how. Some of the early codes said something like, you know, no werewolves or vampires or anything like that. And then with you talking about, you know, the Spider-Man story that got published in 1971, obviously along the way, um, those things weren't as enforced or they got changed because, you know, now in, in the comics we have, a bunch of vampires and werewolves right. and walking dead and things like that. So how, how did that transformation really take place and, and to where we know today? Cause we know that all the major publishers have banned that now, like, and, and no right. one follows that, but like right. how did that transformation happen?
1: Uh, what happened was in the early comics continued to be pretty heavily censored. But there was a drift away from the intense censorship of the late 50s and early 60s. Mm -hmm.
2: You
1: know, a steady drift away where comics got just a little more serious and a bit more darker, Mm -hmm. but still were pretty clean until until the early 60s. This left wide open the opportunity for comics to deal with more complex, mature, darker subject matter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And underground, that, and that's what spawned underground comics in the late 1960s and the early 1970s. A generation of people had grown up with EC and those pre-code comics. Mm-hmm. A generation of people who were kids had grown up exposed to the, the darkest comics from the Pre code era. They had these memories, they had these memories of EC and those comics, became of age to start writing and drawing comics themselves, couldn't do that kind of thing in mainstream comics, created underground comics. Mm-hmm. So underground comics kind of picked up the uh, doing the work of, you know, the serious, challenging work that mainstream comics were no longer permitted to do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So underground comics came along. Shift in the culture, commensurate with that. And by the seventies, comics publishers were just starting to feel like, you know, maybe we could, maybe we could start a wiggle out of this. Maybe Mm -hmm. we could go away from from the code and maybe no one will, it's not being enforced as much as it used to be. Maybe right. we can get away with it. So comics writers and, 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 artists just try bit by bit. We're testing the waters and get away with more and more and more. And to the point where everybody just started ignoring the code and the code just essentially disappeared.
0: Mm-hmm. But you're
1: lucky to have, not. I mean, I grew up in the sixties. Right. I'm reading DC comics with, like, they have to fill those pages. <laughs> so, like, there's 17 different colors of kryptonite. Right, you know? yeah. Each one does some other wacky thing, you know? And Batman has, like, little Batmite, you know? And <laughs> And Super Monkey. And Super Horse. And Super Cat, you know? Right. Like, they got to fill the pages and... With more and more and more silliness, I have to admit I have a soft spot for th- that stuff. I I love the bottled city of Candor, uh, and I love the Fortress of Solitude, and I-, I like a lot of that wacky stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's not work you can grow into, uh, you know, unless you maintain this sense of juvenile fun,
0: right? So my last question for you then um, about the Comics Code Authority is with where we're at now, um, mm-hmm. what is some of the lasting effects of the Comics Code Authority that we still feel now? Or if, if there's any at all that would be good for us to know as we're moving forward into the future of comics and everything, what's something that we should be mindful of with the Comics Code Authority?
1: I think the lessons of the Code Authority apply to other forms now.
0: Gotcha. You know,
1: I I think, you know, comics are so free. Uh DC just introduced, you know, the, the, the black lot. So I still read comics.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and you know, so there's DC Black and You know, the whole thing, they were, the comics code, they they would have like burned those comics, you know, they would have been closed. Mm-hmm. Oh, another thing. Yeah. Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. In the seventies, a lot of the comics, mainstream comics artists I grew up with EC. And so we start to see even mainstream comics get like a little darker and more serious. But so the lessons now are lessons for people who make uh, video games, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and TikTok, uh, memes, you know, I mean, other, other forms. Mm-hmm. I think I think comics are good now. Right, yeah. I think there's a little too much. Uh, I think there's a little too. Marvel has too much power.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No, another thing I get, but, I'm, you know, I don't like any, any centralized body having quite so much
0: power. Right, right.
1: About who it is
0: right yeah
1: uh, but uh, but I so I, don't, I I think that the lessons of comics of the comics code are still still make fascinating reading so and mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it than we had time to discuss here and I would you know I, my books out in paperback now mm-hmm. and could get it on Amazon views for you know a buck and a half
0: mm. uh,
1: so there's going to be a movie
0: version oh awesome
1: yeah I can't say anything more than that but it's <laughs> is, pretty I'm pretty excited
0: about it is it going to be like a can you say if, if it's going to be like a narrative or a documentary a
1: documentary awesome no, 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 a narrative no a narrative, oh, a narrative. Like okay a, a, yeah like a multi series a multi part TV
0: thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Congrats. It. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, one of the one of the things I've seen as a consumer with one of the lasting effects of Comics Code Authority is that a lot of comics do their own self-regulation in terms of letting readers and, and parents know as well, too. The, the ratings of it, right? Like, you know, with video games, when Mortal Kombat came out, right. that's whole whole right. reason why they started having these rating systems with with video games, with music. But, you know, comics kind of did that and they fell into doing the same thing by saying, like, you know, is this rated for, you know, children or is this for teens right. or is this 17 plus, things like that? Um, so, I, and, and I think that's going to be, you know, a permanent thing, you know, moving forward in the yeah, future yeah. as yeah. well. So, um, well, David, thank you very much for joining the show and talking to us a little bit more about Comics Code Authority and give us the history of this um and for those who are interested in the book i'll make sure to provide a link to the book in the show notes as well too and again it's called the 10 cent plague which i absolutely love that title that's so that's that's very very uh, on the nose description of that i, I think that's that's yeah, fantastic I, I made yeah
1: it up myself it's always something <laughs> i found but i'm not trying i'm not trying to sell books so i'm not going to make any money on the used copies right but you, can, you can get it used pretty cheap now and right. it's in libraries too Right, yeah. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate
0: it. Yeah. Before I let you go, where can we find you and your work online?
1: Well, I write um, mostly about music, music and comics, but more about music.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So
1: uh, I'm the music critic for The Nation, magazine called The Nation. It's online. Oh, look up my website, com, and there are links to everything there.
2: Okay. <laughs>
0: I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well, too. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you, David. I really appreciate it. This is fun. And for the final segment of this episode, we're going to end with the comics that we're reading. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, you may notice that we didn't have that segment, and that's because we had some time constraints. So I'm going to include in this episode the comics that people have shared, what they're going to read uh, last week as well. And so we're going to do some sort of doubling up, but I'm going to share with you what I'm currently reading and also share what listeners have chimed in on, on what they're reading for this week as well, too. So currently I am reading a book called The Human Target by Tom King and Greg Smallwood from DC Comics, and it's actually going to be wrapping up soon with 12 issues and initially I was not really interested in this book but one of my colleagues from Comic Watch, Anthony Bergamini, had actually suggested reading this for episode for next week so stay tuned for that Um, but he wanted to do an episode on this to kind of do a deep dive and analysis and and talk about this issue and this run and I read three books so far and I absolutely love it. It's a lot of fun. The art is really fantastic. It was really cool. Kind of gives that spy thriller kind of sense from the 70s and 80s And it just has a really great Artistic look to it Including the colors The story is fantastic I find myself laughing And really intrigued And honestly I can't wait to read The next book And so it's one of the few books I've been able to uh, And I haven't been able to Put down in all honesty Now Tom King is somebody That's kind of a hit or miss for me I've read some of his works that I absolutely love I've also read some of his other works That didn't really resonate with me I didn't really enjoy But I gotta say The Human Target is one That I'm absolutely falling in love with and I cannot wait to read more about that. So let's go ahead and see what some of our listeners have also been reading this week. And this actually comes from who I mentioned before, Anthony Bergamini, and he said that he's reading All-Star Superman. He's not a huge fan of Grant Morrison's writing, so I've been putting off reading after several failed attempts to read past the second issue. I finally dove in, and it's a lot better than other works of theirs. I'm not sure if I agree with the popular opinion that it's the best Superman comic of all time, but it's definitely a good read. I'll be honest, I've not read that issue or that run. Uh, I am a fan of Grant Morrison's writing, so I'm uh, kind of sad to hear that Anthony is not a fan of his, but I know for me, Grant Morrison, I absolutely love his run on uh, Klaus from uh, Boom Studios, and I absolutely love that. And so I've, I've read a few of his works. I haven't uh, given All-Star Superman a chance yet. I'll put it on my to-read uh, to list at some point, um, but this is really interesting to hear. So thank you for sharing that, Anthony. Next, from uh, another colleague from Comic Watch is b Ratt. Uh b Rat says that they're reading the now classic Bob Harris, Steve Epting Avengers era full on scruffy black Knight bomber jackets, crystal and Cersei are the two powerhouses while the male members are a tad more subdued power rise. Uh, Epting while raw has loads of potential, just brimming. Um, this is another series I've not read yet. This is, uh, something from, I think the seventies, if I remember correctly. Uh, but thank you for sharing that. The Avengers is always a, a good hit. Um, black Knight and crystal and Cersei are, t- uh, characters that I did not know were actually part of the Avengers at one point so this is really cool and this is one of the fun things about doing the show is that I get to learn more from comics from you all so thank you very much for sharing that Um, next colleague from Comic Watch Matt Myers our editor in chief and he said that he is currently reading the Incredible Hulk by Bill Mantlo and Sal Basima never revolutionary just good solid meat and potatoes Hulk and I gotta say I love this cover right here I have no idea whose foot that is I gotta read this sometime but I always love love reading the Hulk whenever I get a chance and this just to cover by itself just shows me that I need to read this because this looks very very interesting I want to see who is bigger than the Hulk in this issue Uh, last from comic watch is our own commentator Tyler Davis and they said that they're playing the trade catch-up game this week they're reading Taylor's Nightwing Noctera and reading Saga for the first time I've read a couple of issues of Nightwing from Tom Taylor absolutely love it Tom Taylor is one of those writers that I can read any of his stuff and just really enjoy he I'm a big fan of his uh, noctera is one I've been meaning to get around to I think it's written by Scott Snyder and I absolutely I absolutely love Scott Snyder's work um, saga is one that I've tried reading the first issue I never could really get into it I know that a lot of people say the saga is fantastic there's a lot of people that love that and I apologize that I don't I just haven't been able to really get into it but uh, thank you for sharing that I think these are all great works and I appreciate you taking the time to share that with us, Taylor, Tyler Uh Next, Comic Concierge shared that he is currently reading Dead Enders as I try to catch up with all the Ed Brubaker books I haven't read. Um, Ed Brubaker, I've read a few of his works. I have not read this one yet, but the cover looks really interesting here with the fact that um, there's some guy on a moped looks like he's really pissed. Um, that's really interesting. I've never heard of this before. It's DC Vertigo, so this was pre-black label, but it's supposed to be more the mature reading part. Um, so This is really interesting to hear. So thank 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 you for sharing that, Comic Concierge. Next, Joe Loves Comics said finishing Justice League Dark Side War and Murder Falcon also reading Crowded Volume 1 from Image Comics. Right now, I have the cover for the Dark Side War here. I have not read any of the Dark Side War um, issues here, but from looking up it looks like there is an issue that's dedicated to each of the members of Justice League, so this really sounds interesting. I'd love to learn more about this. So, thank you very much for sharing that. Joe Loves Comics. Next is Ken from the OD PH podcast. He said he is catching up on Spider-Man, the new Superman by Bill, uh, by Williamson and Campbell. Specs from Boom Studios, the finale is next week, which I think he said that last week, so it should be coming out this week. Uh, the Sins of Sinister spinoffs from Marvel and Supermassive 1 with news of Supermassive 2 details being released. I absolutely love this current run of Spider-Man. Um, I'm not somebody that put Spider-Man on his pull list, but I actually reviewed the first issue of this run for Comic Watch, and I actually Absolutely fell in love with it. It's it's something that again I'm a casual fan of, of Spider-Man. It's not one I pick up for uh, current reading, but this one from uh, Dan Slott and Scott Bagley, they're just fantastic in this run, and I cannot wait to you know keep reading the next issue. I've actually just finished reading this one, and and uh, I absolutely just been loving uh, everything that they've been doing here. And then the sins of Sinister spinoffs. I have been reading uh, the Nightcrawlers and um, the Immortal X-Men. I just finished, and again. X-Men X-Men is one of those things where they have all these spinoffs and so it's really hard to keep up with everything but what I've been enjoying about these is that you can kind of read them and they are kind of self-contained for the most part as long as you get the idea of like what's going on um, in the bigger realm of things with Krakoa and the X-Men and all that Um, I have not had a chance to read the Storm uh, spinoff series but um, the Immoral X-Men and uh, Nightcrawlers have been fantastic so I definitely recommend that so thank you for sharing that Ken. Next is Spectacular CT says just started reading The Boys. It was very 2000s funny, but it got real problematic real quick. I can only imagine that. Um, I have not read The Boys. I've watched the show. I'll be honest. The show is written very well. I just cannot stomach the show from time to time just because it gets a little bit more grotesque and just a little bit gross to my liking so um, I know a lot of people appreciate the boys and they really enjoy it like I said I think it's really well written I think it's really fascinating and the acting is fantastic I love all the the actors in there and the uh, the cast is just overall um, I think spot on for some of the characters that they're uh, writing here um, but like I said it's just not a series for me so I imagine that the comic series is not for me as well too but Thank you very much for sharing that. And last but not least, we have Wally. Wally says they're reading Monstrous and Radiant Black because I have listened to so many reviews on TikTok. I caved and bought them so far, so good on both titles. Um, I've heard great things about Radiant Black. I've been meaning to read that. I've not heard about Monstrous, but this looks really interesting just from the cover itself. Um, I don't know what's going on here. It looks like it's a little bit from the uh, fantasy side, maybe Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe, again, this is just based on the cover I'm looking here. Uh, But this looks really interesting So thank you very much for sharing that Um, And that is our segment Comics we're reading for this week Thank you everybody for chiming in And letting us know what you're reading I hope some of these uh, recommendations And what people are reading inspired you To maybe check out a new title for this week And that wraps up another episode of The Caps in Life. I hope you enjoyed listening and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caps in Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com.